Thank you. Come on, you can be seated. Come on, sit down. You're taking my preaching time. I don't know how many times I have to come to no longer be a guest speaker. I just consider myself kind of quasi-staff. Don't have an, I, I, if I come again, I'm going to need an office. I'm going to need somebody to give me an office. The building's big enough for me to have an office. Can I just say that right now? So good to be here. Absolutely love and adore your pastors and just uh, such great friends with them. Love what God's doing here. Every time I come, just so encouraged by what God's doing at this church. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's good for pastors to take some time off. So although I was thinking with Paul and Ashley that uh, if you have five kids, I'm not sure a month is, is long enough to take off. That's my theory on that thing. If you got five kids, anybody else have kids and you go on vacation and you need a vacation from the vacation, you know what I'm talking about? They're like, are you excited about vacation? I'm like, I really love my kids. I do. But, uh, you know, you're just exhausted coming home. So we're going to pray for supernatural refreshing for them. Hey, I'm going to jump in the word today. We've had just such a great time the last two services, uh, last night and this morning. Really believe that God wants to do something. I'll tell you what I feel. I'm just going to tell you right out what the entire message is in this thing. I, I believe that God wants to put a fresh hunger inside of people this morning for the presence of God. I want to talk about what success is. I want to talk about what we should be going after as the people of God. But what I really actually believe God wants to do this morning he wants to put what I call a divine dissatisfaction inside of people. And he wants to stir a fresh hunger for what matters most, which is his presence in our midst. If you were to cut me at my core, what my heart longs for is to see revival. I was on staff at Bethel Church in Reading, uh, came on at 19, and I was there for 18 years on staff. Uh, uh, 37, we moved to plant. And Bill Johnson, the pastor there, many of you would know who he is. He came halfway through my internship. And I was, I, was, I, was, I was a young man who was on fire for God, wanted to change the world, had read a Billy Graham book and different things. And, but, but when Bill came, he kind of introduced me to the world of revival I'd never, I didn't even know existed. Like, I didn't know that God would pour out a spirit in such a way. I didn't know that God would move in power. I didn't understand that, that, that the harvest would come in, in in such massive ways, that God would transform cities, the power of God being released. And so Bill kind of came and kind of introduced this concept of revival. I just remember just getting so hungry for revival. I, I just began to devour books on revival, books on revivalists, and just going after that. And if you were to cut me, even right now as a pastor, if you were to cut me at my core, I, I, I mean at my core, what I want to see is a move of God in our day. I want to see a harvest in our day. I want to see God set people free. I want to see the church awakened to the power and love of God. I want to see holiness restored, all this stuff. And, and, and really, we, we use that word revival. I think it gets thrown around a lot. But sometimes I think we're, we're not quite sure how to define what revival is or how do you measure revival? I believe ultimately right now that it's the only hope we have for America. I, 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 I believe that we are at a spot, maybe it's always been like this, but we're at a spot where if God doesn't show up, this doesn't go well. That we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need a move of God. We need, the, we, we need people awakened to the love of God and the power of God. But in the process of like what is revival, it's interesting for me, and I'm going to kind of tie this into the question I think we need to be able to answer, which is what, how do we define success as the people of God? But when it comes to how do we measure and define revival, I think that, you know, there's, we're trying to put our, our, our heads in, we're trying to put stats on it. Is it the amount of people that show up? Is it the amount of people that get saved? Is it, the, is it this? Is it that? There's a book called The Ten Greatest Revivals Ever. And I love the definition. Elmer Towns and Douglas Porter in their book, The Ten Greatest Revivals Ever. When trying to define revival, they say this. Measure a revival by God himself. Is God present? I love that. At the end of the day, when we measure what revival is... It is connected to this one thing. Was God present? We measure revival by God himself. 
And that comes to this thing right here where I believe God is challenging the church in America to be able to define and answer the question of what does success look like for the people of God? What does success look like for the people of God? I'm going to tell you this is the whole message today and then I believe God wants to put a fresh hunger in you for this. I believe that the only way to define success for the people of God is the presence of God. Is God with us? If you have your Bibles, I want you to get them out. We're going to spend some time in this today. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 33 in just a moment. Exodus chapter 33. Pastor Paul's got you trained. Exodus chapter 33. But I want to go to 1 Corinthians 9 first. So go to Exodus chapter 33. If you got your physical Bible, put your finger there. And then flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. How do we define success? How do we measure revival? How do we define success as the people of God? And let me tell you why this is an important question. Why would we wrestle through and make sure that we have a proper definition of success? Paul addresses this, and I want to show you this. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 26. Paul's writing the church in Corinth, and he says this. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Paul, when he's describing his life, Paul, when he's describing his ministry, when describing what he's been giving himself to, Paul doesn't compare himself to somebody who isn't running. And he doesn't compare himself to somebody who isn't fighting or boxing. Paul doesn't come and say, well, listen, I'm running in comparison to those who aren't running. Or I'm boxing in comparison to those that aren't boxing. Paul says, no, I'm running and I'm not running aimlessly. And I'm boxing and I'm hitting the mark. The reason why he could do that is because he knew what the mark was. The reason why he could do that is because he could define what success was. That everything else was garbage compared to this one thing, Jesus. And Paul, when he says, I'm not running aimlessly, it's because he knows what the finish line is. See, part of my concern about the American church right now, and part of why we have to wrestle through and be able to define what success is, is because if you can't define what success is, how do you actually know if you're hitting the mark? If you don't know what the bullseye is, if you don't know what the finish line is, how do you even know if you're getting there? I don't know if you know this, but you can actually run hard and not be going anywhere. You can actually be running hard and still lost. You can actually have a lot of activity and still not be hitting the mark. See, my big concern right now for the church in America is not lack of activity. I don't think the word of the Lord to the church in America is, come on, you got to be active. You need to be doing stuff. I think the word of the Lord to the church is, you can have a lot of activity and still not be hitting the mark. Because the point is not just to run, it's to not run aimlessly. The point isn't just to box, it's to not box and hit nothing. One of the things that I'm sober about in my own life is I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back over my life Say, Banning, you were busy, you were full of activity, you had a lot of stuff going on, but you never actually reached the finish line and you never actually hit the mark because you didn't even know what it was. And I want to challenge you this morning, and I want to encourage you this morning, that we have to, as a people of God, be able to say, what does success look like? What does success for the people of God look like? Is it numbers? Is it? What is it? Exodus chapter 33, because, and I'm going to tell you why it's important, because I'm telling you right now, God is setting the church up in America for the greatest revival we've ever seen. We are going to see in America the great, I'm not here to cheerlead for you, I'm telling you right now, we are about to see the greatest harvest America has ever seen. I believe that the Jesus people movement was simply a taste of what God wants to do in our time. 
and that all of the chaos, all of the confusion, all of the sin, all of the darkness, all of the stuff that seems to be going on, encroaching on us from every angle, that all of that is simply setting up the greatest harvest America's ever seen. But as a church, we're going to have to be able to figure out, God, what is it that you define as success? What is it that we are to be in pursuit of? Exodus chapter 33, if you grew up in church at all, you know this passage. Exodus 33 is three months after the children of Israel leave Egypt. Over a million strong come out with Moses and Aaron. And uh, they get to Mount Sinai, three months into the wilderness. God calls Moses up on Mount Sinai. And Moses goes for 40 days and 40 nights. He's just in the glory of God. Just in the presence of God on that mountain. God gives him the Ten Commandments, but he doesn't just give him the Ten Commandments. He also gives him kind of a new way to live. If you can imagine an entire nation of people who have lived as foreigners in a different culture for 400 years coming out, God's wanting to give them kind of a new structure and new systems and new ways to live. So he gives them the Ten Commandments, but also laws and different things. And the children of Israel, you know the story, the children of Israel, can I roam at all? Does the camera follow? I'm going to have to read this. All right, I'll roam in a second. The children of Israel, I feel just, the children of Israel uh, begin to get impatient. Moses has been delayed, they believe. He's stuck up on there on the mountain. So they turn to Aaron and they say, listen, will you make us a god that we can worship? And so he makes a golden calf. They worship that as the god who brought him out of Egypt. And God gets angry. God's up on the mountain. He sees what the Israelites are doing. He just says, Moses, that's it. I'm done. I've had it. I'm going to wipe out the entire children of it, all of the, the whole nation. I'm going to wipe out. And he says, Moses, I'm just going to start over with you. And Moses intercedes. He says, God, don't do that. That's a bad idea. If you do that, what are the nations going to think? So God relents. But what he says is, he goes, all right, I won't, I won't wipe them out. But I'm not going to the promised land with them. Not happening. And Moses begins to intercede some more. And this is, this is the passage that we know. Listen to this, Exodus chapter 33. I mean, God literally says, I'm going to send an angel. You're going to go get all the cities that you want. And you're going to get all the land you want and the farms. And you're going to be able to go occupy that thing. An angel will go to give you victory. I just won't go with you. And Moses, in Exodus chapter 33, verse 15, then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall separate your people and I from all the people. So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight. I know you by name. I believe that Moses was faced with a decision that the church in America right now is having to decide on. And the decision was this. God comes to Moses and says, Moses, listen, here's the reality. I'm not going in. I'm not going to do it. Uh, I'm going to send an angel. You'll have victory. Uh, you're you're going to have, you know, for 400 years, you haven't had your own cities. You're going to have your own cities. You're going to have your own land, milk and honey angel, all that stuff, but I'm not going with you. And the decision that Moses had to make was this. Do we go into the promised land with guaranteed victory, living in houses and cities and farms and milk and honey? Do we go in there without the presence of God or do we stay in the wilderness with the presence of God? Most didn't hesitate for a moment. Have you ever wrestled with the decision before? Like, have you ever wrestled with like a decision of like, um, you know, like you had two choice, you had two options in front of you and you just were really struggling to figure out which one you should choose. Maybe it's the college you were going to attend, the person you were going to marry, the job you were going to take. Some of you, honestly, you wrestled way too long and hard about the outfit you were going to wear today and still chose wrong. No, come on. My daughter, I don't know if you have, my daughter, uh, I, I have three kids. I have a 24 year old, a girl that's just about to turn 21. And a boy that's just about to turn 18. And our first one was super compliant. Does anybody else have a kid? Like our first one, you would just look at her and she would kind of line up and do what you said and like slept in, never called, you know. And then we had our second one. 
And you know, you have that second kid where you're like, how are you even from the same two people? Like how, how are you this different from your sibling, you know? But the second one, she's just, and I love my daughter, born leader, stubborn, like stubborn, like refuse it, doesn't move. Even right, tw almost 21 years old, you can't get her to move. And if you try to push on her, she'll just dig her heels in even more. And she's just always been like that. And when she was three years old, I remember she was like three years old. It, it was, she just was immovable. And like every little decision I'd ask of her, it'd be like World War III. I'm like, get in the car, World War III. Brush your teeth, World War III. Put your pajamas on, World War III. And I'm just at a loss. I'm like, I don't even know what to do right now. Like, this is just wearing me out. So I go to one of our mentors, spiritual father. I said, I don't know what to do with this girl. I can't, everything's a fight. And he said, oh, you're in a power struggle right now. She's looking for some power, so give her some power. I said, well, how do you give her power? He's like, give her some options that work for you and let her choose. I was like, all right, well, that sounds dumb, but okay. And uh, so I go back to the little three-year-old, cute little girl. I mean, I probably would have got rid of her if she wasn't so cute. You know, I, just a cute little thing. And so she's sitting there, and, and, and I just began to give her choices. I'd say, uh, Raya, uh, do you want to get in the car, or do you want me to pick you up and put you in the car? I'd say, Raya, do you want to brush your teeth with the red toothbrush, or do you want to brush your teeth with the yellow toothbrush? Do you want to put your right arm in your pajamas first, or do you want to put your left, you think I'm kidding, or do you want to put your left arm in your pajamas first? And sure enough, it was amazing. She began to, like, we, we stopped having World War III. But what was so funny was how long and hard she wrestled with each decision. I'd be like, do you want to do the red toothbrush or the yellow toothbrush? And three years old, she'd be like. Yellow, yellow toothbrush. I'm like, sounds good. Do you want to put your right, I, I, I kid you not, I, I, you want to put your right arm in your pajamas first or your left arm? And she just would be like, she'd think so long and hard about it. <sighs> right arm, right arm, okay. You know, as I, as I read the story of Moses, as silly as this may be, I, I, we, we find a man who was presented with two options and he didn't wrestle with it at all. It didn't even take him but a moment. God comes and says, promised land without my presence or wilderness with my presence. He says, oh, it's easy, wilderness. Because Moses understood this, that, that the promised land isn't the promised land apart from the presence of God. Moses understood that he was not in pursuit of a promise. He was in pursuit of the presence. That, that what the people of God needed after 400 years was not the promised land. They needed his presence. So he said, that's easy. I'd rather stay in the wilderness with your presence than the promised land. See, I think the church has to wrestle through this thing right now. Because, I, because right now, when we go, well, there's guaranteed success. There's cities. There's comfort. There's all this type of stuff. I think it takes us a little bit longer. I just love what Moses didn't wrestle for a moment over this issue. And you want to know why? Because Moses understood something. Moses understood that the only thing that separated them was his presence. The only thing that separated the children of Israel from all the other nations was his presence with them. Think about how crazy this cons. Think about how crazy this statement is, though. When Moses says, well, what else is going to separate us? I mean, he was living amongst some of the most heathen nations in history. These are nations that were sacrificing children to idols. These are nations that were in violence and sexual morality and sin. I mean, these nations didn't look like Israel at all. Israel had different laws. They had different rules. They had different structures. They had different morals and principles. But Moses goes, none of that is what separates us. The only thing that separates us is the presence of God with us. Can I tell you, church, right now, listen, it's not our principles, it's not our morals that separate us from every... Like, listen, if the presence of God is not with us, we're like every other social club in America. We're like every other social club in America. It is the presence of God that separates us and defines us. 
It's his presence with us. And can I tell you this? Moses understood that it was his presence. His presence was all that they had to offer. Can I tell you this? As a pastor, I, I, I'm so sober to this fact that, that his presence is, is all I have to give people. See, here's what I know. The presence of God is what we're longing for. It's in his presence that there's fullness of joy. It's in his presence that there's pleasures forevermore. It's in his presence that there's healing. And it's in his presence that there's freedom. And it's in his presence that there's deliverance. And at the end of the day, what I realize as a pastor is this, I have nothing to give people but his presence. See, one of the lies that we've believed in the church is that it's our strength and our effort that changes lives. I mean, it's, it's quiet near 11. One of the things that we've fallen into sometimes is believing that our effort and our strength is actually changes lives. I'm with pastors all the time, and one of the things that's interesting to me is how stressed out they get over how their sermon went. Like, how did, you know, was the transitions and service good? Did we get people parked well? And listen, I'm all for this, right? And did my sermon go well? But you know what's interesting? And, and I want to effectively preach the Word of God. I want to be engaging. I want to open up the Word of God right. I, I want, I, you know, like, I want to be able to do this well. But when I begin to be stressed about how my sermon went, I have bought into the concept that it's my sermon that's actually changing lives. I'm gonna, sound, I'm gonna say something that's gonna sound melodramatic, it's not meant to be. I've never preached a sermon that's changed anybody's life. It's not my well-articulated sermon that changes lives, it's the presence of God that changes lives. It, it's the presence of God that changes lives. My sermon's never changed anybody's life, God's presence has. Is God with us? I have preached really bad sermons and the presence of God has changed lives. <laughs> and I think as a people, we have to get this thing, we have to get this priority in place that what we're longing for is the presence and all we have to give is the presence because it's in His presence that we realize why we were created. I become alive in His presence. <laughs> At, at, the, at the end of the day, he, the reality is, is one moment in his presence will accomplish more than a lifetime of effort outside of it. That more can be accomplished in a moment in his presence than a lifetime of my effort. And as a people, I, God is stirring a fresh hunger inside of us to be able to say, God, what I desire above all else is your presence. It's your presence that I long for. It's your presence that satisfies. It's your presence that changes lives. It's your presence that people need. It's your presence that changes cities and, and heals families and restores bodies and sets people free from 30 years of addictions. It's your presence that does that. Not my really well-crafted sermon. And the reason why I'm sharing this is because as a people of God, we have to be able to define success this way. That every time we gather, not just when we gather, but every time we gather, that we come together with this one thing. God, your presence above all else. How do we define success today? Your presence was with us. You know, when I wake up in the morning, there's a longing in my heart that just says, God, I just desire your presence. God, I, I, I've, got a, I, I've got an interview for a promotion. I, I've got to figure this out. I've got to do this. I've got all these things going on. But, but, but in the midst of all of that, what my heart longs for the most is that your presence would be with me. See, here's, here's really the reality is, is that for many of us, when the presence of God is not the preeminent focus of our life, a few things happen. One is, is we begin to be frustrated when certain things don't happen. See, this is the amazing thing. Moses wasn't in pursuit of a promise. He was in pursuit of the presence. So he's like, hey, if your presence is in the wilderness, that's where I'll be. 
That's what I want. Listen, it'd be great it, after 400 years of slavery. It'd be great to live in, in a land of milk and honey with cities. It'd be, it'd be awesome. But that's not actually what I'm after. That's a bonus. What I'm after is your presence. See, lots of times, and I'm just going to challenge the people in this room right now. Many people get frustrated. As I walk with people and pastor people, people get frustrated because something hasn't happened. There's a promise that they're going after. There's a dream that they're going after. And I, and I want all those things to be fulfilled in your life. But many times people are frustrated and they're irritated. They're annoyed because ultimately what happens is something hasn't happened. That, that promotion didn't happen. Uh, that relationship didn't happen. That, that thing, that house or whatever else it is didn't happen. And what begins is that people begin to be frustrated with the Lord. They begin to like, and they begin to fall into this kind of entitlement thing, which we won't get into, but they begin to be frustrated with the Lord. And I just want to, I just want to look at them and say, hey, let me just ask you a question. When you turn your heart to God, when you turn to Him, does His presence come? Is Jesus with you? Has His presence ever denied you? Has he, like, and they're like, well, no, of course not. When I turn my affections to him, when I turn my attention, his presence is there with me. Jesus is with me. He smiles at me when I wake up, whatever else it is. Then I, th then I just want to go, then what is it that you're frustrated with? What is it that you're frustrated with? Because if you're frustrated with something not happening, it means you're in pursuit of that, not Jesus. And, and, and we have to be a people that just say, I want your presence. Like all the other stuff, it's great. But what I really want more than anything else is your presence with me. That's what I'm longing for. And, and maybe that promotion didn't happen, but your presence is with me. The rest is just, are, are you with me on this? But the other thing that begins to happen when his presence isn't the preeminent focus of our life is we begin to forget, we begin to forget who we're showing up with. Uh, let me, in, on the macro level, on the macro level and the micro, when I say macro, I'm talking about like when we look at our state, our nation, and then mi micro level, when we look at our finances and our marriage and our relationship. The Lord really challenged me one time. I was, I was doing some, my finances or something, and I was just like overwhelmed, and I was frustrated, and I, I just felt so overwhelmed with the finances. And the Lord just like kind of, you know how he does that fatherly rebuke? He just said, Banning, don't ever show up to your finances as if I'm not with you. He said, don't ever show up to a situation like I'm not with you. And I began to realize that when his presence isn't my main focus, I began to approach things as if God's not with me. Or when his presence isn't our main focus, we begin to approach the nation as if God's not with us. Here's the reality. You need to remember who's with you. Well, so Jesus says this, he says this first. He says, he says, well, with man, that's impossible. You know, the disciples are like, that's impossible. And God says, well, Jesus says, well, with man, that's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. In other words, there are certain things that you're going to face. They're impossible. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe you're in massive debt. And you look at your finances, you say, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's impossible. And I would look at you and say, it is impossible. Your debt is impossible. And you come to me and you say, my marriage is in trouble. I don't know if it's going to make it. I'm like, you know what? Your marriage won't make it. It's impossible. We look at the nation right now and say, can we really see revival? It feels impossible. I say, it is impossible. It's impossible with man. With man, it's impossible. Your debt's impossible with man. Your marriage is impossible with man. Your healing's impossible with man. The nation turning is impossible with man. But here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not with man. We're with God. We're with God. Who you show up with matters. Guys, when we're praying for the nation, when his presence is what matters above all else, we recognize Listen, I know you're in Oklahoma, so you don't understand the concept of Babylon. Um, but I live in California, and so um, you look at Oklahoma and are like, I, I'm believing God for revival. Oh, like Oklahoma's going to be saved. I think Oklahoma's already saved, all right. But, but, but Cal uh, that's not really true. But California, 
When you, when we're believing God for California, I'm like, God, you can turn this, this state back. God, you can do something miraculous. If I'm looking at it from just man's strength, like maybe if we could organize better, maybe if we could rally this better, maybe if I could, it's impossible. But here's the good news. I'm not with man. And when I, when, I, when I say, God, if your presence is with us, all things are possible. You make things that seem impossible possible. The hardest cases, the, like it's the presence of God with us. We're not coming in. We're not looking at California, believing God for revival apart from God. We're not looking at our finances, our marriage or whatever else. But we begin to lose sight of that when his presence isn't our top priority. Oh, you're all quiet on me, but I, but I am right. When his presence isn't our top priority, we begin to lose sight of the fact that God is with us. God is with us. Maybe I've had this, maybe I've been addicted for 15 years, but the presence of God in one moment can set me free. God is with me. Nothing's impossible. Hope is never lost. And that is found in the presence of God. It's where I'm alive. And it's all that we have to give people. Can I just tell you this right now? What's going to change this city, what's going to change this region, what's going to change this state is a church in pursuit of the presence of God. A people whose focus is the presence of God. That when we gather, when we're in small groups and when we're at church and when we, it's, 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 not that we, it's not that we don't disciple and it's not that we don't get, you know, right? All of that stuff is so important. But at the core of all of it is his presence with us. It's the only way that we measure success. It's the only way to define success. And here's what I want to, here's what I want to do this morning. I just want to pray for you because I believe that God wants to stir a fresh hunger for his presence. Some of you in this room, you, you've, you know, some of you in this room, you can think back to those, those days and those years where you were just so hungry for his presence. It was just your focus. I was thinking this morning when I was 18 years old, just on fire for God at 18 years old. Went to college in Orange County, California. And I had a job in Santa Ana being a valet. I was a valet car parker. I was a valet for cars. And uh, it was kind of at a circus. And so uh, it was at this kind of big, huge mall, Orange County Plaza. And uh, there would be about 15 of us valets. They'd bring the cars in. And then they would, we would park them about 100 or 200 yards away in this kind of parking lot that was dark. And then people would go into the circus, they'd be there for an hour and a half, come out, then the second hour and a half. But they always, the supervisor always asked us, they said, they said, who, uh, can anybody go volunteer, please, to go watch? You had to go stand at the entrance of our car lot so people from the mall wouldn't park there. It was nighttime. And so they'd always ask, you know, anybody, will anybody go volunteer for this? I always raised my hand to volunteer for it. I'd raise my hand to volunteer for it, 18 years old. And I'd, I'd go and I'd go stand at the entrance, just me by myself. I'd go stand at the entrance in the dark of this parking lot. But when I would go there, I'd go meet with God. I, I, I remember it. it was, I remember I would just go there. It was all the vineyard Hosanna days. And I would just be just, I, I can't, I got a horrible voice, but I would just be out there in the parking lot. Nobody was around. I just be singing more love, more power, more of you in my life. I just be saying, I just want to be where you are, dwelling daily in your presence. I don't want to worship from afar. And just my 18-year-old heart be pouring itself out before the Lord. And the presence of God would just come and just visit me. The presence of God would just come in that dark parking lot all by myself as an 18-year-old. I believe that God wants to stir again some of that fresh hunger, some of that fresh passion just for the presence of God in your life. You say, God, this is what I long for. I remember when I was in my early 20s, 
I'd get up early in the morning, get up early in the morning to go pray. I'd get there at 5 a.m., just in my early 20s, just hungry for God. At Bethel, they, had like, they have like a prayer house, just a separate building, just a prayer building, that's it. It's kind of a small circular room. And uh, I remember I'd get up early in the morning, and there would just be this anticipation in my heart. I'm about to go meet with God. I'm about to go get in His presence. And, and, and I remember I would get in my car. I would just live about four minutes away, and I'd drive to the church. And I'd get out. Nobody would be there. This was before Bethel was what Bethel is today. And I would get there, and I'd get out of my car. And there was like, there was like two, uh, uh, there was like a double doors outside that lead to this hallway that lead to another set of double doors that lead into the prayer room. So I, you know, I'd go through the first set of double doors, walk down the prayer room, and I remember I would open the second set of double doors, and I would step into the prayer room, and I would be hit just by the presence of God. I remember just being in my early 20s, just walking into this room and just recognizing God is here. I would just stand sometimes just weeping at the door, just the presence of God in this place. And the Lord just began to stir this hunger in my heart that just said, God, I just want your presence above all us. The only way I wanted to find success is your presence with us. See, I believe that God wants to stir a fresh hunger in you for that or a divine dissatisfaction. And do you know how that happens? Do you know why, do you know why Moses so easily made the decision he made without wrestling at all? Because he had been ruined for everything else. This is the one that's out in the tent talking to God face to face like a man talks to a friend. This is the one, this is the, who was just sitting for 40 days and 40 nights in the glory of God, the presence of God. And when God comes and says, promised land without my presence or wilderness with my presence, he's like, oh, that's easy. And it's easy because I've just been ruined. Have you ever experienced something that satisfied you until you experienced something else? And then what used to satisfy you just doesn't satisfy anymore. I love going to NBA games. Big basketball fan. Love the NBA. And our hometown Kings, uh, we just were diehard Kings fans. And so I remember, the, I remember a guy inviting me. I, we go to Kings games all the time. And we sit where everybody else sits, you know. Halfway up, three quarters of the way up, that lower section, sometimes the upper section. And we watch the game, enjoy them, love them, great atmosphere, love the environment. And then a guy invited me to sit courtside. Now, now as an NBA Kings fan, I'm like, dude, this is amazing. Like, he's like, you want to go sit courtside? I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah. It wasn't just courtside, though. It was the seats in between the score table and the bench. I, so you kind of, you walk in a whole separate entrance. There's a whole like, like club restaurant just for people like you, you know, and, and, and then, and then you get out there in these chairs that are cushy. your feet are on the hardwood floor. Like the team's right there talking the whole time. I, I missed half the game because the coach was standing in front of me. I about wanted to say, dude, seriously move. I can't watch the, like scoot over, you know, but unbelievable experience. So great until I went back to my next game and sat with the common folk. <laughs> sat with all the peasants, you know. And I just remember, you're just up there. I've been to games tons of times. I loved it. It was so much fun until I experienced that. And now I'm just sitting up here just the whole time irritated, going, oh, what are, who are these people? You're not my people. I don't know. Who, this is not my people. These, I, don't know. I, I was not born to be here. I was not created to be in this seat, okay? Hey, you want to know where my people are? See those chairs down there? Those are my people. <laughs> those, those, that's, I was born for. I was created for. I have a destiny that looks like that. Not like this. All of a sudden, something I used to love and enjoy, yeah, don't enjoy quite as much anymore because I've tasted of something different. Church, we are too easily satisfied. We are too easily satisfied by the things of the world. We are too easily satisfied by things that don't compare to the great glory of God. We become so easily satisfied. We have settled. We have settled for far less than what's available to us as a people because what's available to us is the very presence of the living God that satisfies all of my longings, that answers all of my questions, 
that strengthens and fills me, that sets me free. I am known and loved in His presence. I am accepted in His presence. I am free in His presence. It's His presence above all else. And there has to become a point in our life where we just say, God, I want to be ruined for everything else. I want to, it's not that we don't live our lives. It's not that we don't go to work. It, but there's in our heart a longing that just says, God, what I desire above all else is your presence. And every time we gather as a people, we are clear on this one thing. What success looks like today is the presence of God with us. And all we have to give people is his presence. I want you to stand with me. Worship team, come on out. Can, I, can we sing beautiful name? I'm going to switch on you real quick. I believe this morning, as we wrap up this service, that God wants to put a fresh hunger inside of you for the presence of God. Maybe you're in here this morning. You say, Banning, man, I so relate to that story of you just sitting in a parking lot. I remember those days of just coming into worship and just saying, God, I, I long for your presence above all else. Some of you in this room, you may say, I don't really know what that is. I like when you're talking about a hunger for the presence of God, I don't know if I've experienced that. Wherever you're at, I believe that today God wants to put a fresh hunger inside of you, a divine dissatisfaction that if we're going to see revival in America, it's because the people of God have been ruined for everything else but his presence. That if we're going to see God move in our day, if we're going to see God move in our midst, if we're going to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it is because a people of God have determined this. I know what the finish line, I know what the mark is. We're not running aimlessly. We're not boxing as if we're not hitting anything. We know the mark. We know success. It is God with us. It is the presence of God. Can I tell you right now, the world, the world needs to look at us and they need to see a church that can say with all honesty, the world has nothing to offer me. There is nothing in the world that could ever satisfy the longing that's in my heart. There is nothing in the world that could ever satisfy the thing inside of me that knows I was born and I am alive for His presence. We are not confused where there's fullness of joy. We are not confused where we find strength. We are not confused where we find healing. We are not confused where we find deliverance. It's in His presence. I'm going to invite you. In fact, I, I, I want to just encourage many of you in this room. If you want a fresh touch from heaven, and if you want a fresh hunger to be stirred in you for the presence of God, I want you to get out of your chairs this morning. Just come forward. I believe that God is going to release a fresh hunger on the lives of people. I believe, listen, I don't want, don't, don't stay in your seats if the Lord's just saying, I want to touch you in a fresh way. I want to stir you. Whether you're coming forward or not, all across this room, I want you to lift your hands to the Lord right now. We just say this morning, God, we're hungry for your presence. I want us to begin to worship the Lord. We just, God, we're hungry for your presence in this place. God, stir a fresh hunger. Stir a divine dissatisfaction inside of us. May we be ruined for everything but your presence, God. It's all we have to give. We make this declaration this morning that there is nothing that could ever satisfy us but the presence of God. That we would rather stay in the wilderness with your presence than go into the promised land without your presence. Come on, I want us to press in for a few minutes this morning. We just press in. Every voice, come on, every voice, sing this. Come on, every voice in this room, lift up your voice.
going to sing this again, but would you just lay your hands on somebody's shoulders next to you? We don't have enough people to pray for everybody in this room. I want you to just pray for the person on your right and your left. God, that you would stir a fresh hunger in their hearts for the presence of God. That you would ruin them for everything else. That this next season would be a season of encountering the presence of God in a fresh way. That there would be a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just pray for them. Just, God, I pray for the person on my right and my left right now. God, that your presence would encounter them. God, that you would come, that healing would come from your presence. We pray that dyslexia would be healed in your presence. Marriages would be healed in your presence. Cancer would be healed in your presence. We just declare this morning that cancer, I just saw the Lord reaching out and healing cancer in this room. The presence of God that's come to bring healing and to bring deliverance. Father, I pray for the person on my right and my left, God, that you would stir a fresh hunger, awaken them to the presence of God in a new way. If you'll ask him, he'll do it. We're gonna worship one more time, but if you'll ask him, he'll do it. He's never denied a hungry person. God has never denied a hungry person. If you'll just say, God, I mean, you may not even feel it, but if you just say, God, I'm hungry for your presence. I'm hungry for a fresh encounter with your presence. He'll do it. Come on, one more time. Will you just lift your hands all over this place, and I want you to worship. Come on, I want you to worship like you're hungry. I want you to worship like you're desperate for the presence of God. He's listening this morning. He's listening to you this morning. that your presence is not just confined to a moment on Sunday, but God, we can experience your presence in our life as we leave this place, as we go into work this week, as we go into our homes, as we, God, just invite family and friends into this conversation, Father, of valuing your presence. We thank you that, Lord, your name alone is where breakthrough takes place. Your name alone, God, is where we see the greatest miracles take place. So Father, as we're carriers of your presence, God, we see the miracles follow. We see the breakthrough follow. God, it doesn't take someone else praying over us, but we can lay hands on the sick and see them recover and be made well and healed and whole. God, as we're carriers of your presence, we see what Pastor Banning was talking about, revival taking place in the world around us, revival in our homes, 
revival in our workplace, revival in our lives and our thoughts and our thinking, revival in our nation and our cities. God, we thank you for that. James 4.8 says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And I believe that's what we were able to do here this morning. We didn't just gather for the sake of gathering. We gathered to draw near to the presence of God and God's presence rested on us today. Come on, if you felt that, give God some praise.